Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. This episode of the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast Series is brought to you by GS3 Quality Seed, the distributor of high-quality, trusted cover crop seed brands like Nitro Radish, KB Annual Ryegrass, Super B Facelia, and TNT Vetch. You can learn more about these cover crops and numerous other species at tiltpro.com, as well as find the seed dealer nearest you. That's tiltpro.com. Today, I'd like to introduce Jason Cavadini, an agronomist with the University of Wisconsin Marshfield Research Station for part two of our discussion on interseeding cover crops. Welcome back to the podcast, Jason. Oh, glad to be back. So uh, for maybe those listeners who didn't hear part one of our discussion, tell us a little bit about your role. So I am the assistant superintendent at the Marshfield Agricultural Research Station, which is one of several agricultural research stations that are part of the University of Wisconsin College of Agriculture. And my role here as assistant superintendent, I also am a research agronomist, so I help um, to facilitate research conducted on our station by University of Wisconsin scientists who uh, most of them are um, located in Madison. A few of them are actually, some of them are located here as well. And then we also collaborate with the USDA um, Agricultural Research Service, uh, which has a location in Marshfield as well. So part of our station is also USDA. So I have the privilege of working with a lot of different scientists from different disciplines. And then I also have the opportunity to to conduct some of my own uh, trials here as well. Some of them on my own, some of them collaborating with other researchers. I guess uh, my main focus with all of that is how to integrate soil and water conservation into the farming practices that are typical of this region, which is very dairy intense. And in addition to that, I also own my own small farm just down the road from the research station that I manage with my wife and kids. And all of our land is under perennial pasture and we rotationally graze a herd of beef and direct market all of our beef off of our farm. So that's a little bit about what I do. Fantastic. So uh, back to interseeding, talk a little bit about which cover crop species that you've found seem to be best for interseeding. So I think I alluded to this a little bit in the last episode, but it's been a little bit of an evolution since we uh, started interseeding. So we really started, we had been dabbling with interseeding a little bit just because it was one of those practices that was maybe a, a bit an unfamiliar but intriguing. But then we recognized that because of some of the constraints that our area has with the growing season and with the crops that cover most of the land here, which is pretty much alfalfa and corn silage, we're really limiting our options or our uh, opportunities for getting cover crops on the land and one way of getting around some of those constraints is interseeding. So uh, hypothetically on paper, 
it makes perfect sense figuring out how to actually make it happen and integrate it into uh, the systems in this area uh, has been a little more of a challenge. But I think where we are at and a lot of the farmers who we work with and a lot of the people who are consulting farmers in one way or another is we've all sort of bought into the fact that we we have to figure out how to make interseeding work. Basically, I'll come to terms with the fact that interseeding is our best opportunity or our best chance of getting cover crops on a lot of these acres. And so from that point, we started really investing more heavily in the practice, researching it more, getting it on more farms. So we'll do replicated trials on the research station, but we also get replication by getting it on a whole bunch of other farms and then getting feedback from those farmers on what worked and what didn't work. So um, back when we started interseeding, we really had cereal rye in our head as the cover crop that works most consistently. So we started doing it with that. And we also had, as far as timing goes, we had V6 for the corn stage in our head. We found out quickly that putting cereal rye at V6 really limited growth because it was just so close to canopy. So we, the first thing we tweaked was the species that we were working with. So we switched from cereal rye to annual ryegrass and we found that annual ryegrass gave us significantly better growth, better establishment when interseeding at like that V5 to V6 stage. V6 is, if you look at the height of the corn at V6, that's kind of the tail end of when we would want to be doing it anyway, because it starts to be, you know, depending on what method we're using, starts to be a little more stressful on the plant physically. So we switched to annual ryegrass, got a lot better performance. Then we started tweaking the timing, started pushing the envelope earlier and earlier. We kept getting better growth, better growth. We started integrating other species like the brassicas, um, clovers, mainly crimson clover into the mix and that we kept getting significantly better performance over the years as we, um, you know, tweak the mix a little bit and um, tweak the timing as well. Now what we found is as we're pushing V2 to V3 corn that the annual ryegrass does so well that now we've had the unanticipated consequence of this stuff making it through the winter and now, uh, which never was a big concern of ours. In fact, we always thought that that would be a good thing. Um, and perhaps it still is, but it just adds another layer of challenge for uh, how to, what to do with that in the spring when it makes it through the winter. So this year we've started integrating some other things into the mix. So we backed down our annual ryegrass rate and now we're working with oats in the mix, which not many uh, farmers have done in the past, especially with interseeding. But a lot of farmers in our area are very familiar with oats as a companion crop. So we know that it does well in competitive environments. Um, and we think that it might give us a little better functionality than annual ryegrass in 
our interseeding because it'll give us good growth and competition. It won't make it through the winter, but we'll still have the residue there in the spring. So that's kind of where we've ended up. And we haven't seen it in enough trials and on enough acres to say confidently that, yes, this is this is where we're going in the future. But I do know that we have enough farmers trying it in our region here and um, other parts of Wisconsin and Minnesota that I think we're going to learn a lot in one season um, how that works. Have you seen that interceding results in less seed to soil contact in your experience? Basically what we always tell farmers is the more you are able to ensure seed to soil contact, the higher your success rate is going to be. And that kind of sounds like a no brainer, but I guess, you know, ensuring seed to soil contact with interseeding is going to mean that you have some kind of specialized equipment and that you're, you're doing it. So if you have a row unit uh, or row units between corn rows, so a lot of people are able to get two or three rows of a cover crop in between corn rows, the seed is going to get out of the ground much faster if you're able to get that seed to soil contact. But uh, obviously there's going to be a cutoff point to where the corn is too tall for uh, you know, some piece of equipment that has row units on it. And other people aren't very big fans of their cover crop coming up in rows. They would rather see it take up that entire uh, inner space between two corn rows. So it is a little bit of a matter of, of preference, but uh, the general rule of thumb is if you are able to get seed to soil contact with some sort of row unit, that cover crop is going to get out of the ground much faster and you have a much better chance of having a nice uh, thick cover crop that gives you functionality and persists through the season. Um, if you are broadcasting it and, and you know that you're not going to have quite the seed to soil contact, um, then you really just need to be intentional about watching the weather, hopefully timing it with the rainfall. And I think I mentioned this last time, but what, what we've been seeing is, so we've been pretty, uh, religious about not working the ground for our corn crops um, and just no-tilling into whatever conditions we have. There's been a few fields here and there where we've had to do one pass of tillage with a vertical till. And the one thing that I've seen consistently is when we do that pass of tillage, the, the other uh, thing that that affords us is we do get a better catch with our interseeding when we did that before planting. So I guess that is something else to consider that, you know, potentially a pass with a vertical till tool would set up a field for a better interseeding later in the season. Have you seen interseeded cover crops be, still be able to establish effective amounts of biomass? That is very, um, inconsistent and very dependent on the weather and the season. Um, but what we have, so there is some interest in 
sort of tinkering with row spacings of corn. And so we, and that's another thing that we've done with our watershed group. We've had studies on the station the last two years and on outlying farms, looking at different row widths of corn with the intent of maximizing cover crop biomass production. So um, we've been looking at 60 inch row corn. So for the farmers who are gonna graze the cover crop after corn harvest, that is a pretty easy sell. Um, for farmers who are not grazing or not harvesting the cover crop, it is a tougher sell because so far what we've seen is you are gonna sacrifice a little bit of corn yield by widening out the row, but that's an easier pill to swallow if you're getting a forage value in the end. Um, and as uh, I guess I'll just mention also that every year that we've done this wide row corn, we've been able to close that yield gap a little more just by planting the right corn population and selecting the right corn hybrids. Um, I guess my point in all that is by widening out the corn row, we've been able to increase biomass production of that interseeded cover crop by 300% or more the last two years. Um, we also get the benefit of seeing better corn silage quality where that interseeding was, um, which again, I'm not totally certain why that's happening. So when we're talking about interseeding in 30 inch rows, I haven't seen biomass production be uh, consistent enough to really say. So uh, one year we'll have a super thick interseeding, the next year it'll be marginal. Um, and, and it really just is dependent on the weather more than anything. We'll be right back to the podcast, but first I want to thank our sponsor, GS3 Quality Seed, the distributor of high quality, trusted cover crop seed brands like Nitro Radish, KB Annual Ryegrass, Super B Facelia, and TNT Vetch. You can learn more about these cover crops and numerous other species at tiltpro.com, as well as find the seed dealer nearest you. That's tiltpro.com. And now back to the podcast. What have you found is the best way to terminate those cover crops that have been interceded? That is a, a, whole, a pretty, could be a pretty long conversation and probably the topic that has come up the most amongst my colleagues and I this spring. So as I mentioned, a lot of acres were under um, annual ryegrass this last year and a lot of that made it through and so there's a lot of talk do we want to keep using this is it just a matter of we just have to control it a little differently I think that probably is the case what we've seen so I'll just continue using the annual ryegrass as an example where we had a nice thick crop that made it through the winter we planted green into all of that and then terminated it after planting and we got uh, fairly marginal control um, in that situation. The farmers who did control it ahead of planting uh, got much better control. So I think it's just a timing thing. Um, 
but most of the generally speaking most of the cover crop species that people are interceding winter kill in fact we've we've struggled to find um, a, a lot of options for species that overwinter that I, that also do well with interseeding. So for the time being, there's, there's not a whole lot of interseeding species that farmers in our area have been working with that are difficult to control. But I would say that what I've seen in our area is it's trending toward with these annuals like annual ryegrass, trying to get them early just to make sure that they're not going to be a problem later. And I think the other reason for that is, is we don't have a very big window for controlling those weeds because not too long after planting, we have to get back out there and intercede the cover crop. So we're really talking about a pretty short window. Have you seen when cereal rye is the species that's interceded, does it typically regrow pretty well in the spring? Um, when, it, when it establishes, it will. Um, but the problem that we've had, and I do think that this might be a little more regional because I know that there are people, you know, even in our state who are more south of, of where we're at in the north central region who have had better luck with cereal rye and interseeding and they get a better establishment and then that absolutely makes it through. For us, we just don't, we haven't historically gotten as good of establishment, not at all what we would expect for cereal rye. Um, whatever we do get to establish almost always makes it through the winter. Um, so that's typically not the concern. The concern is just trying to get that stuff established before we get to full canopy. So you mentioned weather conditions a little bit earlier. Talk a little bit about how the weather affects the establishment and regrowth um, of interseeded cover crops. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, if it's if we're broadcasting, we're really going to depend on moisture because this seed is sitting at the surface. And so we need rainfall on that seed, which helps to um, incorporate it, or I guess ensure seed to soil contact, but also gives it the moisture it needs to germinate. So, and then even that, I guess the other thing, in our interseeding trials where we've been using row units, we have some that do very minimal incorporation of the seed, basically putting it at the surface. Um, and then we have some that are drill row units which are, which are putting the seed deeper and a quarter inch difference, a quarter inch deeper could mean a couple day difference and emergence of those cover crop seeds, which can really make a big uh, difference in the end. But it's all moisture is the, the biggest thing. So we have to be able to time it with moisture in order to get it established. If we do, if we do get dry, significantly dry during 
the growing season after the cover crop is established that can have a an effect on it it'll affect the dormancy of the plants generally speaking they're they're fairly resilient to that though but as far as overwintering goes the that is kind of the the x factor how soon winter comes when when we get frost um whether there's snow on the ground snow cover if we get snow cover early and it persists until spring and then we don't have an odd freeze thaw cycle where like we've had some years when we completely thaw out in january only to freeze again for another couple months that is detrimental but if we get snow cover early and it persists until thaw we will see a lot of things over winter that even sometimes we won't expect to um last year uh crimson clover made it through um but we had snow early before the ground froze so um a lot of these things are out of our hands uh which sometimes is what causes farmers to think twice about doing cover crops but the thing that we've really been working on is trying to figure out how to as far as recommendations go for farmers who are considering interseeding cover crops what we're trying to do is how to come up with species selections and um, planting methods that are as profitable as possible or as cost effective as possible which i think we've been successful in doing when we talk about cover crops a lot of the time we hear that growers are are counseled to identify which goals they want to use cover crops to meet what would you say are the goals that interseeding helps meet with cover crops well i think for us here what i always say is i mean there's a and I, I guess a lot of people in any agricultural area would say this, but there's such a long uh, history or heritage of farming a certain way here. Tillage has been a very, a practice that is has deep roots here, um, kind of a, no pun intended there, but it's hard for people to move past the intense tillage that is sort of been symbolic of this area in the forage systems here the dairy uh, farming heritage here tillage is just a practice that a lot of people still believe is absolutely necessary to get a good crop here to, to feed the herd you know the people believe that tillage is necessary to make this land farmable but what i have been saying is Nobody here realizes, even people who are fourth or fifth generation farmers, they don't realize the potential of their soil because all of us and all of our fathers and grandfathers or however you wanna look at it, um, are farming a degraded resource. And we don't really realize the potential of what the soil could be here. We have to figure out how to break out of this cycle of tillage in order to start allowing the soil to move toward its potential and 
the biggest way that we can do that is to integrate cover crops into this and and try to have continuous living cover on the land. We, we use a rainfall simulator here a lot as a, uh, for demonstrating different practices on and, and how they have an effect on the soil. And the one uh, sample or the one treatment that always outperforms everything is our perennial grass pastures here on the research station. And what we're trying to achieve with cover crops is move our annual cropping systems as close to that perennial pasture as possible when it comes to soil health and, and soil physical characteristics and infiltration and all of those. And so that is really what we're trying to achieve. We're trying to figure out how to take that crutch of tillage out of the system. And I just think that cover crops are absolutely vital to that. And, you know, this year, just this spring, the best fields that we had to plant into are the ones that we had a beautiful cereal rye cover crop planted on last fall. Uh, they were weed free and they, the consistency of the soil was just perfect for planting into. And that's what we're trying to do with cover crops. If you intercede a cover crop, does that crop need to be managed differently than say other cover crops that are perhaps seeded in other ways? Well, I guess, depending on how you look at it. Um, so these interseeded cover crops, as I mentioned, we don't have a whole lot of options in this area for interseeded cover crops that are gonna overwinter consistently. That said, if they winter kill, you know, then we're not managing it like a cereal or rye cover crop that makes it through the winter. But I guess it all depends on, on goals as well. So if we're gonna continue trying to tweak these interseeding systems with something that is, is giving us some sort of functionality in the spring, then we are gonna have to consider how to manage that in the spring as well. But I would say that right now, generally speaking, most of the interseeded cover crops that we have to, or, or that we're working with, don't take the same uh, control method as something like cereal rye or triticale in the spring. If this question uh, doesn't uh, apply to your area of expertise, let me know. But um, does interseeding look different in other regions of the U.S.? Yeah, I think it does for sure. As I mentioned, I, I know that there's people who will probably even listen to this and say and hear my comments about cereal rye just not having a very high success rate with interseeding. I do think that that's pretty localized to our area because I know that there's farmers who have had success with it in other parts of the state and other parts of the Midwest. Um, so I guess, you know, the message, maybe the take home from that is you really have to do your own research um, on your specific farm to figure out what works with, with, you know, in your environment and with the tools that you have access to. After all of this, basically what I'm, what I'm saying is, you kind of have to figure it out on your own, which could be disheartening to someone who is 
considering this, but just um, maybe skeptical or maybe on the fence or maybe just uncertain. Um, but I think it's still valuable to hear from someone else who is doing it in another area and, and to hear from other farmers who have tried it because as I always say, it moves you up the learning curve. You can take what they've learned, what's worked, what hasn't worked and apply that as a starting point. So you're not starting from ground zero. Um, so I think it is important to know that any information you get, whether it's from me or some other researcher or some other farmer is from their, you know, from a very localized spot. And you just use those as pieces of information to sort of build your own blueprint for on your farm. Very good. So once again, uh, share with our listeners where they can go for more information about interceding. So depending on where you're from, there are more recently, the last couple of years, I've really gotten the most information or the most interesting information on uh, social media groups. So on Facebook, there's a group called Everything Cover Crops. I would say there's there's new posts on there daily, um, people sharing pictures of what's working and hasn't worked. And you'll see all different kinds of opinions, but they're all pieces of the puzzle. Um, there, we also manage a group, Regenerative Agriculture in Wisconsin. Um, so that is more localized to Wisconsin. And I know uh, the University of Wisconsin has a a page for cover crops in Wisconsin that they're trying to add content to uh, all the time. And also, you know, there's other groups out there as well that have information uh, like the Midwest Cover Crop Council. So um, I do think there's lots of places with information right now, but those are kind of my go-tos. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Jason. Yes, thanks for having me. I appreciate um, having the opportunity. Once again, I want to thank our sponsor, GS3 Quality Seed, the distributor of high-quality, trusted cover crop seed brands. You can learn more about these cover crops and numerous other species at tiltpro.com, as well as find the seed dealer nearest you. For more information about all things cover crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.